Hello and welcome to Phenomenal. I'm Trisna, a psychologist with an interest in the well-being and fulfilment of artists, performers, creatives, and all those who follow their passion. Phenomenal is a podcast about walking in the shoes of some exceptional people who have paved their own way in life. In this podcast, I hope to not only introduce these phenomenal people, but also give an opportunity to understand them phenomenologically by hearing their lived experience. In this episode of Phenomenal, I speak to filmmaker Renda Hajj. I saw a beautiful short documentary called Hayat and I knew I wanted to interview the filmmaker. Complex themes were sensitively and artistically conveyed. And while I knew the filmmaker was a young woman at the beginning of her career, I was still taken aback by how young Renda was when I met her in the studio for the first time. Hi, Renda. Thanks for coming in to chat with me today. Thanks for having me. Um, I usually start just by asking um, my guests what it is that they do. So if you could tell us about your creative work. Um, I'd say when I'm a filmmaker um, and mostly I guess I I direct documentary films. Um, But I guess I don't like to limit it at just that because I'd love to go into different forms of filmmaking. But um, my focus, I guess, right now is social issue documentary. Okay, yeah. So I know your work through the film Hayat, which was beautiful. So maybe we'll start there and then um, you can tell me about other projects that you're working on as well. So um, what made you want to um, create Hayat? So it was a grad film, Uh technically. Yeah. Um, So I guess I, you know, I had a specific timeline on my last semester of uni and so I had to develop a film. Um, but I did want to make something along the lines of what Hayat turned out to be. And that was, you know, a social issue documentary that was still very personal and kind of in some way related to my life and um, my own experiences, like through my family and kind of tackle um, very subtly a lot of the issues that um, migrants and refugees face in this country. I've known Rahma um, for probably like over six years. Uh, she's neighbours of my auntie. Yeah. And uh, during, and I kind of had lost touch for a little bit, like for a couple of years. I was there when the youngest Sarah was born. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I just kind of asked my auntie. I was, you know, in a, on a timeline and I kind of had to like find someone quick. Yeah. So I just, yeah, decided to kind of explore that and it turned out to be amazing. Yeah. So for the listeners who haven't seen the film, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Um, so Hayat is a short documentary film um, that centres a and kind of explores the life of a family, um, Rahma and her four children who live in Melbourne's inner suburbs. And it kind of just explores not just the tribulations, but definitely um still that of how she finds her space and navigates I guess her ident- identity in fitting in and settling in a country 
um, and raising her four children and kind of providing them the strength and courage to understand their environment and understand this country um, because two of them were born here and two of them uh, came here from Syria when they were very young, when they were like one or two years old. Mm -hmm. So they're basically all raised here. Um, but just to find a balance in understanding their own culture and their own faith and also uh, settling into this country as well mm. and adapting to this environment. Yeah. There was a beautiful scene at the very beginning um, where they're playing Uno and um, and also one of the children is asking, well, he's giving instructions about a snack that he wants. I'm sure it's got Vegemite in it. Is that right? Am I it was Milo. Milo. Milo, yeah, right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. And how much does that um, does that film, how much do you relate to their story? I think a lot just because Rahma is a, a single mother and I was raised by a single mother as well um, from a very similar background. And so my mum migrated here um, over 15 years ago um, after the war in her own country and yeah so we were just we were raised by a single mother and I think I can relate to a lot of the experiences of the young kids um, obviously a slight different generational gap um, but a lot of them a lot of the experiences that they face now are very relevant to my own and Hayat which is the eldest daughter mm -hmm. um, and that that word means life in Arabic mm. uh, I identify with her so much and relate to a lot of her experiences you know going to a predominantly white school um and she went to the she started off at the same high school that I did mm -hmm. um so yeah we kind of share a lot of the same experiences and she's a very intelligent young she, girl they all are but yeah. I, I'm sure you could have you could tell yeah. through the film yeah that Definitely. she was so there's just so many conversations that we were able to have and understand each other and I could also kind of see her struggle in trying to, yeah, find her find her identity and just kind of understand who she is and how she fits into this world that is somehow just a little bit different to her own. Yeah. And where is your mother from? Where did she come from? My mother was born in Eritrea, um, so East Africa, but she grew up for most of her life in Egypt before coming to Australia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she moved to Australia in her, like, mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah, what struck me about Hayat is she, I mean, I don't know how old she is, but she seemed extremely reflective for someone her age. Um, there's a little snippet where she's talking about how she is coming across in the documentary and that she wanted to be authentic, but that it was difficult when it was, you know, um, when she was in the eye of the camera, I suppose. Yeah, she's extremely self-aware. Yeah. Um, and conscious, she always has a lot to say about the current climate and what's happening in the world, but also understanding, um, yeah, like her own space and mm. um, how she comes across and I guess how she will be perceived by others, which is, I think, a very, very important element um, in the film as it is in life where we're constantly, um, especially people of colour, are constantly needing to feel aware of who they're interacting with and how people are perceiving them and how they're also perceived generally in the media and to society as a whole. Um, yeah, so that I guess that was very important. Yeah. Um, 
This is a question that I usually ask at the end, but I just feel that your work is so is so led by values. So I usually ask at the end, what do you value in life? Like what's what are your values? But I might ask it now before we keep talking about your other work. It's a very broad question, I know. And it always makes my guests make that face that you're making right now. <laughs> really? I hope so. <laughs> I'm glad there's not a camera. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it is a really difficult question just because I guess you internalise a lot of it and you understand it for yourself. But I guess you can never really articulate what it is. Mm. Um, and I don't think I've ever been asked that. <laughs> but it, it is something, I guess, this documentary, um, I had to question a lot of ethics. And it was, I guess, very I wouldn't say very difficult, but it's something that you always really need to focus on. I believe, especially when you're um, working with a family that you're really close to and working to a sto- on a story that's very close to you as well and yeah. finding, you know, the balance and the fine line between those areas that, you know, kind of that deep water that you shouldn't kind of go close to and then um, the areas that are a little bit more safer, yeah. but also kind of you always kind of have to push the boundaries just a little bit because you know it will be important. Yeah. And I mean, I value family a lot. I feel like if I can answer that question, I, I'm sure you can probably find a lot of my values through watching my yeah. work, but family to me is like of utmost important. And I think I wouldn't be where I am today without my whole family, without the support and love of my family. Um, and you can see that through Rahma's family as well. And that's something that I really tried to, I didn't even really hard try hard to make that come across and depict that in the mm, film. It's beautiful. Yeah, mm. but that's something I think is really important. So family. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. good. Um, and what about ethical considerations around, because you touched on um, how people of colour have to be aware of how they're perceived and so were, were there ethical issues around depiction of their story at all I think the trust that I had previously developed with them and that's what actually led them to be um comfortable with being involved in the film in the first place Mm. um was something that I don't think I would have been able to achieve without it and in that obviously depicting them um was very kind of raw and honest yeah and as I explained to them, it was a reflection on my experiences and my family as well. And I would never do anything to compromise that yeah. or make that um, come across in a negative manner yeah. as well. And I think that was the biggest thing. I didn't want it to kind of delve into this whole um, narration of, you know, back when I was this and when yeah. I came to this country and I've struggled and struggled because um, I don't think it's about that. And no. the whole idea of this film is really to shine in a different light Um and explain to others that are like us, kind of allow them to have a film where they feel like they're depicted um, in a kind of beautiful and positive light Mm. and also be able to relate to a lot of the experiences so they don't feel alone. Mm. But then to the majority Western society who are constantly bombarded with negative portrayals um, in media Mm. and just kind of everywhere that Mm. you look, um, to kind of not prove but just show us in a different light and make people I guess understand that as much as you know we may some of us are migrants and refugees and 
you you feel like we've come from like war-torn countries and we struggle in this country and a lot of the times I don't feel like we make an effort um to integrate into society like I was born and raised in this country so Mm. I guess I'm talking about my family and Mm. other you know people who have shared the same experiences but um yeah that they don't make enough effort to integrate in societies and they're constantly in their own little communities mm. and I feel like through this film you can really see how Rahma struggles with that yeah. and she talks about it yeah. um, very candidly and yeah. very honestly about yeah. the fact that she really does try yeah. but it's so much harder and you know even in the current climate when we talk about Black Lives Matter and when we're talking about um, the kind of prejudices and victimization that people of colour go through uh, you can kind of see how that's very prominent and relevant um, to someone like Rahma yeah. in that even as much as she tries, there's still a lot of hostility yeah. in the environments. I mean, her kids go to predominantly white schools and they're making predominantly white friends. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you can just imagine how hard it would be for her to kind of feel like she's a part of her kid's life and... Um, allowing them to have these friends but not being able to connect to their parents and their other friends. And I think it is a very difficult complex um, that I try to navigate in a – like, I mean, I'm also not really used to it as well. So this – I learnt a lot from this story as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did an amazing job because in in such a short period of time, yes, you you get this sense of that – I'm trying to remember the details, but um, about how she is trying to get a place that's closer to her family and just the warmth with which she interacts with her children, even though there is obviously this, um, there's an obstacle even within family. Yeah, there's a, that barrier. There's yeah. um, The biggest one is language. Yeah. And we tried to make that very, yeah. uh, come across very, very explicitly. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because that was one of the biggest struggles and, you know, Rahma, Rahma can speak a little bit Arabic. So I was mm. able to communicate with her in that way because mm-hmm. I speak Arabic, mm-hmm. but you can just tell with her kids, there's that language barrier mm-hmm. and it makes understanding very difficult. And, mm. you know, portraying Hayat at, at first, initially we wanted to, I wanted the film to send to Hayat, mm. but um, in the beginning, she wasn't really comfortable with that. She kind of warmed up as we filmed a little bit more mm. um, throughout the few months, but we, uh, found Rahma at the centre and the forefront mm. of the story anyway. So mm. I guess that's where we went. But we kind of used Hayat to mirror her mother in yeah. that way to kind of show two different sides. Mm. And, I mean, that's why we kind of involved, like, the Uno sequence mm. and things like that just so that everyone can kind of relate. Like, anyone plays Uno, mm. all kids play Uno, no matter mm. what race, no matter what background mm. or colour. Yeah. So I feel like little moments like that were really important yeah. in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And the process of making the film, so you mentioned before that um, you had had a different family in mind and the timeline didn't work. And so what what was it like to, um, once you, you sent it in on Rama and um, Hayat, just the process of actually creating that film and, and capturing, as you did so well, like how did that kind of... Um, how did that happen, I guess? So this film altogether took around eight months to yeah. make and mm-hmm. um, probably at least almost 40% was just pre-production and it took a long time not only to get our, my trust back with the children and Rahma um, but introduce a team 
So again, because it was a, a technically a, a grad film, a uni yeah. project, I had to involved a certain number of people mm. and um, I really tried to find other people, people of colour mm. uh, to be involved in this project, which I to some extent was able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had been in talks with a cinematographer. He's a very talented DOP named Gabriel Francis. Mm-hmm. And I'd been in touch with him a few months back, like the year before, mm-hmm. um, and was familiar with his work and wanted him to be a part of a project. So we were talking uh, very well before this idea Mm. and I just told him I kind of I knew I wanted to make a documentary about this sort of Mm -hmm. uh theme Mm -hmm. and I wanted him to be a part of it so when I did finally figure out who it was going to be and I found a producer a good friend of mine Morty Osborne to work with me Mm -hmm. um we all kind of started to develop it develop it together Mm -hmm. and the biggest thing with my DOP was kind of just understanding what types of shots mm. we wanted and how intimate we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And we basically just centered everything around that was just intimacy mm. uh, and capturing that intimacy. And mm. we had a sound person as well, Cesar Martinez, who um, was obviously in the house with us 24 seven. And it was really difficult to navigate having like three people in mm. the house that's already packed yeah um with a large family and quite small spaces Mm. but we were able to do that which was amazing but Mm. it took yeah about three months to just introduce everyone Mm -hmm. one by one get them comfortable then have a little bit of test shots where we just kind of see what they're like with the camera and Mm. then surely enough after like the first or the second week of real shooting um, they forgot the camera was even there. But yeah. because we're dealing as well with little children yeah. and Sarah is one of the one of those girls, like she will never let go of me. Like she's always either holding my hand or hugging me or kind of wants my attention. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's really hard to separate mm-hmm. yourself from from that. Yeah. Especially when you're filming and you kind of need to create that distance. Mm. Um, but, you know, sometimes, I mean, with a lot of the shots even that weren't in the film, they broke that third wall. Mm. numerous times mm. and sometimes it worked in the film and sometimes mm. it doesn't yeah but we just yeah we tried hard to do that and after filming it was just a matter of editing and I had an amazing editor Georgina Taylor mm. um who was just able to as much as we knew where we wanted the film to go we kind of knew what message we wanted mm-hmm. but this story just like came out of her in the edit room mm. um and I worked closely with her to achieve that and mm-hmm. so I guess I was really happy with the way it ended in the yeah mm. yeah beautiful um, what about some other projects that you're working on at the moment that mean a lot to you? I'm working on a my first feature documentary. Um, it's a it's a social issue human rights documentary about um, an Afghani Canadian um, Muslim man with schizophrenia um, who was incarcerated late 2016, um, and within the span of uh, 10 days he was or 12 days he was brutally murdered by uh, prison guards while um, in segregation mm-hmm. and I've been working with his brother Yusuf Akiri um, and his family to basically through his journey of um, finding justice and holding the government accountable mm-hmm. um, so that's been a case I've been working on since end of last kind of mid last year mm-hmm. to now so hope, hopefully you know the next I don't know year or so um we'll see where that goes and I'm working on a passion project of mine a short documentary um about my brother and Mm. um about our our relationship with our father so that's kind of the one that I'm yeah a side project that I'm really really passionate about as well yeah 
Given um, sort of the themes that you're working with, how do you, and also that, you know, the work is driven by, you called that project a passion project, but it sounds like a lot of it is driven by passion. How do you, um, how do you balance sort of um, dealing with these really heavy themes, but continuing to do the work? Um, I mean, I'm asking the question as if you have a, an issue with it, but you may not have an issue with it, but I'm just curious. I think it's, it's where all my motivation comes from, mm-hmm. I think. And as much as it's sometimes difficult, I mean, the feature documentary I'm working on is, I mean, it's a really difficult topic yeah. and subject and what happened was very tragic, but also very critical mm. um, to what's happening now. Yeah. And things that have been happening for the last, you know, 40, 50 years. Um, and it's that kind of urgency that just allows me to see nothing past it. Um, even if it's a topic like the one I'm working on with my brother, it, you know, it's about our absent father and kind of the way we navigate not really having a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very personal. And I've, it's something that I don't really talk about because it's so personal and it's very it's a very emotional topic. Mm. So I kind of find this film that I'm working on a little therapeutic mm. in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because I know how important it is and how relevant it is for so many other people um, who are going through the same thing. It's not something that's just limited to my experiences. And I think that's a point of all my work as much as it's personal. And I feel it a lot of do- times documentaries should be. Um, because you're kind of going into someone else's story and not having shared even a little bit of their experiences kind of disconnects you in a way. And as much as you can learn so much about that story and sometimes you might be the only person that has that access to that story, I think we've seen a lot of the times enough films where people are delving into a world that's not their own, Um, like going into a country that's not your own and uh, trying to find a story and present that story in a way, um, it does take a lot of that intimacy out of it. Yeah. And I think in a film, when you're watching it, and it still is a film, so it should be cinematic, mm. um, you can tell there's that little bit of disconnect. And yeah. as much as the story can be compelling and beautiful, um, and a lot of times, you know, it might win amazing awards and be, you know, like kind of the top film of the year. Mm. I kind of, I always can find those little moments where I'm like, that doesn't really feel honest enough. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying I do that perfectly. I'm still learning and like yeah. at the start of my career, basically with mm. my first film. But I think that's the one thing I try focus on. And I never want to go into a story where I don't feel like I, I'm allowed in that space or that I'm forcing myself into that space. Yeah. Um, and even the doc, the feature documentary I'm working on now, I, I kind of... I can, I guess, relate not to the experiences. I've never had lost someone in that way Mm. and I can't even imagine so. But the film isn't really just about that. It's about kind of the aftermath and the experience of um, this Muslim family, Mm. this Afghani family, this Mm. kind of um, migrant family and how they navigate so many things, um, again, in the aftermath and even how they would have navigated that during and before. And... 
that's really what I'm trying to shed light to and that's an experience I can share. Mm. And I've developed a very close relationship with um, the brother Yusuf Fakiri Mm -hmm. and that's sort of the access I have to the film Mm. but also it's our shared experiences that we feel like kind of allows me to tell that story or help tell his story because, again, it's his story. It's not my own. Yeah. Yeah. What is it like to balance that sort of technical skill with sort of personal, I mean, I I guess I'm going to call it a skill, but. I think it is difficult Mm. because you have to remember it's like filmmaking is a craft Mm. and there's so much to learn. Mm. And I've been making films like for numerous years, like from a young age. Um, But I can tell that each, you know, each time I try, I'm getting a little bit better, but Mm. I always learn from my past films and I always learn by sharing and I'm like always watching films and even films of my friends and um, on the phone to my friends all the time as well. I met a few people at my first film festival was Slamdance in January. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've made a lot of amazing friends there, but I'm constantly on the phone with them or messaging them being like, how do I do this? Or what did you do if you're working on a film mm-hmm. right now? What is it you're doing? Mm-hmm. I'm like constantly pestering them mm-hmm. <laughs> just to get all those details. Um, and then just like filming little things, you know, just wherever I am, I'm like taking a camera and just seeing and editing little things things just so I can see how I can best um edit a film and portray a story Mm. so I feel like you never stop learning and there's never a point where you can just be like all right I've mastered film the Mm. film craft so now I can focus on a story it's always both and it is a hard balance Mm -hmm. as well when you you want to tell a story that you feel so powerfully um that you feel is so powerful Mm. and that you feel so passionate about Mm. but sometimes you have that barrier where you're like but I don't know how to uh, portray it um, in the best way cinematically mm-hmm. and now even myself I'm learning especially with a feature film because it's you know the extent of that is something I've never kind of delved in before mm-hmm. so I'm trying to learn a bit about the art of a feature film yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um, do you have any um, particular inspirations people or anything else um I mean, I'm inspired by, like, so many filmmakers. I can't just – I don't think I can just name one. Um, I'm also inspired by, like, the biggest thing growing up was, um, you know, the Italian neorealism movement um, because those films, like The Bicycle Thief, um, that was a film – you know, it was a drama film and it was a narrative fiction, but it it felt like a documentary. And I learned a lot – and it was black and white in that time as well. So I I learned a lot from – from that in itself and that was one of my biggest inspirations growing up and making films and now I guess it's just experiences like all my films I feel like derive from my own experiences and my family's experiences and I have so many conversations with my family about you know their experiences and things that have happened in their life and what's happening you know in their lives now um because I guess there's a lot like they don't share you know you can see a lot but there's a lot that's still unsaid and I'm learning things every day and just everything that's going on in the world like I'm always as much as sometimes it's unfortunate and it is very tragic I'm always inspired by people who um amidst everything that's happening you know in their countries or in their families just continue to persevere and they use their own families and faith to do so. And mm. I think that's so beautiful and powerful mm. and very empowering. So anything that empowers me um, is inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, what about um, challenges, obstacles? What sort of things do you encounter? With film, inevitably, you're going to have a difficulty with funding. Um, and honestly, I feel like that's definitely not the only barrier that you have and the only challenge you can come across. But I feel for myself at this stage, it very much is so. Um, just because as well, to be honest, um, there's not enough funding specifically in Australia um, at all going into uh, bringing to life the films of people of colour. Um, and that's just, I mean, that's just a fact. There isn't. And it is really hard to navigate um, the uh, production environment in Australia. And I find that a lot of the support I'm actually getting is, you know, internationally. You know, I got so much support when I was in the US. I got so much support when I was in Canada um, recently. And I've kind of just been focusing in those areas and seeing what I can do in Australia to help, mm -hmm. you know, support my vision mm -hmm. um, and to tell stories that aren't really represented and mm -hmm. are very under, actually underrepresented mm -hmm. in, our, um, in our media. Yeah. But I think that's just, yeah, an inevitable challenge that we face as people of colour trying to make films um, yeah. about our own stories and not the, you know, fitting into those um, typical, um, yeah, categories mm. that everyone seems to be put into. Do you think it's shifting? I hope now it's shifts. <laughs> and, I, like, it sucks that it, it has to come to something like this where the you know it's like the largest civil rights movement in mm. history and mm. you know it, that's what it takes for people to be like oh we actually need to be funding um different stories mm. and helping people of color and black people actually have their platforms and have their spaces to share their stories mm. um so i really do hope there is a shift but i feel like as well there's just going to be a lot of talk um and a lot of ticking the boxes and I've been in a lot of um, like kind of panel discussions and Zoom chats where I've heard, you know, some of the biggest um, directors of colour come out and speak, you know, directors who have won Oscars and have done so well and have achieved so much in their career, mm. still talking about the difficulties that they're facing as people of colour mm. in the industry. And it's, I don't think it's discouraging, mm. but it's, it, it's definitely difficult Sobering. to, yes, and it's <laughs> difficult to, to listen to that um, as kind of an emerge, emerging upcoming filmmaker because mm. you kind of feel like you have to be the one in a million that's going to make it. Mm. Um, and I think that's why it's so important to make sure that you're bringing up people with while you're rising mm. and making sure that you're um, being very inclusive mm. of like your own people when mm. you're working in film. Mm. Um, I think that's the one thing that basically filmmakers like myself can do mm. in the environment um, yeah. to make sure our voices are heard yeah. and that we're not just in predominantly white spaces in yeah. filmmaking as well. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, a collective um, effort. Yeah, it's a collective effort. I feel like that starts with us mm. and we might not be getting the support for a while or again, mm. it's going to be one in a million that gets it. And that's mm. not enough. That's pathetic to me mm. um, because, again, those aren't the stories we want told. And a lot of the times it's like a story, again, that's of, um, an exp you know, like about the African diaspora mm. or the Middle East. And mm. it's always um, a white filmmaker mm. that's making those stories. Mm. And I kind of sit back and I'm like, I wonder what that story would have been like if it was someone who shared those experiences 
you know, and have a different perspective. Yeah. And I guess that's something that I know I won't be the only one who changes that, but I hope I'm part of that change. Mm. I'm very excited about that. (laughs) Um, What, what does, I'm trying to think how to put this so that it doesn't sound um, superficial, but what does success look like to you? I feel like success to me is just change and that's Mm -hmm. always been the case. I mean, the way I see it, I feel like as much as you can reach a certain point and you can aspire to, you know, um, win at a huge film festival, which again would be amazing because it means so much to um, the reach of your film. And Mm -hmm. that's something I think all filmmakers aspire to. Mm. So the more I'm like, you know, getting into film festivals and sharing my film, it's an amazing feeling and it just means... Uh, my film is uh, gaining more traction, mm-hmm. which is very important, and my voice is as well. Mm-hmm. And people, I guess, will trust my voice um, mm-hmm. when it comes to another project. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's... And obviously, like, the money that you can get to f- continue to fund more of your films. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, again, success is just the more you're able to change and the more you're able to bring awareness about issues that, you know, most most of the world don't kind of hear about and aren't um yeah aren't aware about it's just yeah change (laughs) yeah awesome I think that's a good place to finish thank you for coming in yeah no thank you so much for having me Interviewing Renda in the midst of another resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement was very inspiring. She is someone who seems to occupy a liminal space, not only being on the threshold of what I hope is a great career, but also of a world that is in a state of great change. Not to mention that personally, Renda appears to occupy thresholds of place and identity. And yet, it seems these factors have endowed her with amazing insight, awareness, and ability to navigate ambiguity and nuance. And I suspect these are the qualities, along with gentle strength, perseverance, and principles that will guide a person into an uncertain but exciting future.